Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2012. Dealing with Paul's Epistles to the Thessalonians, it's brought to you by Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 7 for August 11 to 17, Living Holy Lives, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Sabbath afternoon, August 11. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these beautiful books to the Thessalonians. We pray that as we open them again this week, as we particularly look at chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, that we may see the lovely Jesus there, that we may see what you would have for us individually. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Let's read that again. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. And the key thought for this week is, Though human sexuality is a gift from God, as with all gifts, it can be abused. The three opening chapters in 1 Thessalonians focus primarily on the past. In chapters 4 and 5, however, Paul turns to the future. There were things that were lacking in the faith of the Thessalonian believers, and he wants to help them remedy these deficits. The letter would begin the process, but more could be done only after Paul and the Thessalonians could get together again. Beginning with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul builds on the friendship he had affirmed in the first three chapters and offers practical advice for the Thessalonians' everyday life. The main area of concern, but not the only one, in the verses for this week deal with sexual misconduct. Though we're not told what specifically prompted his admonition, Paul speaks very clearly about the need to avoid sexual immorality. He's very strong in his language here, saying that those who reject his instruction are, in fact, not rejecting him, but the Lord. All one has to do, though, is look at the suffering that sexual misconduct has caused in so many lives to understand why the Lord would speak so strongly through Paul on this topic. Sunday, August 12, Abounding More and More Question. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 11 to 13 and chapter 4 verses 1 to 18. 
How does the content of chapter 4 expand on various parts of the prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3:11-13? What is the relationship between Paul's prayer and his inspired words to the Thessalonians? Well, we'll start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And then verses 1 to 18 of chapter 4. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3, 11-13 contains a number of key words that anticipate the content of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The prayer is about abounding in holiness and mutual love in light of the second coming of Jesus. All these themes point to specific passages in chapter 4. In our text for today, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2, Paul picks up on the language of abounding in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, although the connection is masked by most modern translations. Modern translations have the commendable goal of making things more understandable in today's language. 
but they may inadvertently hide connections that are explicit in the original. In the King James Version, the parallel between 1 Thessalonians 3.12 and 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1, the next verse, is explicit. Paul invites the Thessalonians in both places to abound more and more in their love for each other and for everyone. Paul began the work of building their Christian framework while he was with them, but now is impressed by the Holy Spirit to fill in the gaps and clarify their understanding. The result would be more and more of what they were already attempting to do, which is to live a life worthy of their calling. Paul begins chapter 4 with, Finally then... In chapters 4 and 5, he is building on the previous chapters where his friendship with them is the basis for the practical counsel he will now give. They had made a good start. Now he wants them to continue growing in the truths that they had learned from him. Two mentions of Jesus in this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1 and verse 15, are particularly interesting. They indicate that Paul was passing on the teaching of Jesus' own words, which were later preserved in the four Gospels. Paul was offering more than just good advice. Jesus himself commanded the behaviours that Paul was encouraging. Paul, as Christ's servant, was sharing the truths he had learned from Christ. So, to finish today, read again 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. What does it mean to walk in a way that will please God? Does the Creator of the universe really care about how we behave? How can our actions actually please God? What are the implications of your answer? Monday, August 13, God's Will, Holiness 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3-8 to forms a complete unit of thought. The will of God for each Thessalonian believer is holiness or sanctification. What Paul means by holiness here is explained by the two following clauses. Each believer is expected to avoid sexual immorality and to control his own body. Paul concludes the unit of thought with three motivations to holy living in verses 6 to 8. 1. God is an avenger in these matters. 2. He has called us to holiness. And 3. He gives us the Spirit to help us. In today's lesson and the next two, we'll be looking at this passage in more detail. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 7. How are the two verses linked? What is the basic message of both? And how is that message relevant for us today? 
Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And verse 7. For God does not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Verse 3 builds on verse 1, where Paul reminded the Thessalonians of how they were to walk. Live, in many translations, a Hebrew concept used to describe daily moral and ethical behaviour. In verse 3, he uses another Hebrew concept to describe spiritual life and growth, holiness or sanctification. A typical definition of holiness is set apart for sacred use, but Paul gives the term more specific meaning in this letter. Holiness is the condition the Thessalonians will be in at the return of Jesus, verse 13. But in chapter 4, Paul chooses a form of the concept that emphasizes process rather than outcome. It is a noun of action, sanctifying more than sanctification. It is the will of God that we be engaged in this process. Verse 3, for this is the will of God your sanctification. Paul clearly does not endorse a law-free gospel. There are behavioural requirements for those who are in Christ. In verse 7, the opposite of holiness is uncleanness or impurity. As Paul goes on to explain in verse 3, you should avoid sexual immorality. The word for sexual immorality is porneia in the Greek which would today cover everything from pornography to prostitution to any sexual activity outside of marriage. While salvation is by God's grace through faith, the Christian life is to be a growing life, constantly striving for the perfection that has been promised us in Christ. And so, to finish today, the gift of sexuality is powerful evidence of God's love for us. Yet, this gift has been so abused that, for many, it has become a curse, a cause of great suffering and sorrow. What choices can we make that will help to protect us from the potential damage that abuse of this gift can bring? Tuesday, August 14. Not like the Gentiles. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. What message do you find in these verses? What do they say to you personally? Verses 4 and 5. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God. Although the moral philosophers discussed in Lesson 3 attacked many forms of sexual excess, Gentile society as a whole had little or no sexual restraint in Paul's day. According to the well-known pagan orator Cicero, 
If there is anyone who thinks that youth should be forbidden affairs even with courtesans, he is doubtless eminently austere. But his view is contrary not only to the license of this age, but also to the customs and concessions of our ancestors. For when was this not a common practice? When was it blamed? When was it forbidden? And that's quoted in Abraham Mahelby's The Letters to the Thessalonians, the Anchor Bible, Volume 32b, published in New York by Doubleday in 2000, page 235 and 236. In today's world, many find sexual restraint of any kind distasteful. They feel that passages such as 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 and 5 were relevant mainly in some other time and place. But the ancient world was no more sexually restrained than our world is today. Paul's message would have been no more acceptable in the wider society then than it is now. Paul's solution to the problem of sexual excess is that every man should possess his vessel. The word translated as possess normally means acquire in the Greek. The meaning of acquire his vessel is unclear. If by vessel Paul means woman, it was a common ancient expression for a woman, and that can be seen in 1 Peter 3.7, he is saying that every man should seek honourable marriage in order to avoid sexual promiscuity. But most modern translations understand that the word vessel refers to the man's own body. In that case, the phrase, possess his vessel, should be interpreted as control his own body. In either case, Paul clearly confronts the moral laxness of his own age. Christians are not to behave as the Gentiles do. The norm of the wider society is not to be the norm for us. Sex is holy, set apart for marriage between a man and a woman. As Paul goes on to point out in 1 Thessalonians 4.6, sex can never be a casual matter. When indulged in outside of the norms established by God, it is inevitably destructive. Who hasn't seen in the lives of others, or in their own lives, just how destructive this gift can be when abused? Wednesday, August 15, according to God's design. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. What is Paul saying about sexual immorality? Verse 6. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. A man who had been sexually active outside of marriage said to a pastor, As a young man, I learned to see sex and love as one and the same thing. 
When I got married, however, I discovered that premarital sex destroys not only your body, I got a venereal disease, but also your mind. Although we are now Christians, my wife and I have had to struggle with the mental and emotional behaviours I brought into our marriage from the past. The Bible's restrictions are not there because God wants to prevent us from enjoying ourselves. Rather, the restrictions protect us from the physical and emotional damage that occurs as a result of sexual immorality. We restrain ourselves sexually because we care about the impact of our lives on others. Every person is a soul for whom Christ died. They are not to be sexually exploited in any way. To do so is to sin not only against that person, but to sin against God as well. Sex is not only about how we treat others, but how we treat Christ in the person of others. Sex ultimately bears upon our relationship with God. It is the Gentiles who do not know God who live lives of passionate lust in 1 Thessalonians 4.5. It is ignorance of God that produces immoral behaviour. Those who ignore the Bible's teachings on this subject reject not only those teachings, but they also reject the call of God and even God himself. Verse 8 says, Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. On the other hand, when we follow God's design, sex becomes a beautiful illustration of the self-sacrificing love that God poured out on us in Christ. It is a gift of God and enjoyed according to God's will for us. It can powerfully reveal the kind of love that God has for humanity and the kind of closeness that he wants with his people. So to finish the day, we are told in 1 Thessalonians 4.7 to live a holy life. What is your understanding of what this means? Is this talking about more than just sexual conduct? If so, what else might it include? Thursday, August 16. Mind your own business. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 9 to 12 and chapter 3 verses 11 to 13. What aspects of the earlier passage does Paul reaffirm in today's text? First of all, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
with all his saints. And then chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you may aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing." The Greeks had a number of words for love, two of which are found in the New Testament. Eros, not found in the New Testament, is the Greek word from which we get the word erotic. It refers to the sexual side of love. Agape is the form most used in the New Testament, as it refers to the self-sacrificing side of love. It is often used in relation to Christ's love for us as manifested at the cross. Another word for love, philos, is highlighted in our passage for today. Paul reminds the Thessalonians of what they already know about brotherly love. The Greek word behind brotherly love is the word from which the city of Philadelphia gets its name. In the Gentile world, Philadelphus referred to love for blood relations. But the church extended this meaning to include love for fellow believers, the Christian family of choice. This kind of familiar love is taught by God and is a miracle of God's grace whenever it happens. Question. Read First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. In your own words, describe Paul's admonition to the Thessalonians regarding business and employment in the urban context. Verse 11. That you may also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. The Thessalonian church seemed to have a number of lazy and disruptive individuals. Enthusiasm for the second coming of Jesus may have led some members to quit their jobs and become dependent on Gentile neighbours. But being ready at all times to witness does not mean being disruptive, nosy or lazy on the job or in the neighbourhood. For some outsiders, the closest they will ever come to the church is the impression they take away from the behaviour of known Christians in their everyday lives. Paul's solution to the Thessalonian problem was to encourage them to be ambitious or to aspire, not for power or influence, but to live a quiet life that would involve minding one's own business and working with one's own hands. In the ancient world, manual labour was the primary means of self-support. In today's world, Paul would probably say, support yourself and your family and save a little extra to help those in legitimate need. So, to finish today, how could we apply Paul's words in these verses to our own lives, our own immediate context?
Friday, August 17. From the book Mind, Character and Personality, Volume 1, page 222, we read, Love is a pure and holy principle, but lustful passion will not admit of restraint and will not be dictated to or controlled by reason. It is blind to consequences. It will not reason from cause to effect. And from the Advent Review and Sabbath Herald, September 25, 1888, Ellen White also writes, Love is pure and holy, but the passion of the natural heart is another thing altogether. While pure love will take God into all its plans and will be in perfect harmony with the Spirit of God, Passion will be headstrong, rash, unreasonable, defiant of all restraint, and will make the object of its choice an idol. In all the deportment of one who possesses true love, the grace of God will be shown. And from the same author, the Acts of the Apostles, page 518. Those who would not fall a prey to Satan's devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. They must avoid reading, seeing or hearing that which which will suggest impure thoughts. The mind must not be left to dwell at random upon every subject that the enemy of souls may suggest. The heart must be faithfully sentinelled, or evils without will awaken evils within, and the soul will wander in darkness. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One... In the Acts of the Apostles, page 518, Ellen White talks about guarding the avenues of the soul. What are some practical ways that believers can do this? What implications does this principle have for our choices in entertainment and education? 2. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul frequently uses the phrase more and more to describe growth in character and Christian behaviour. What can churches do to encourage this kind of more and more? 3. If a young person asks you to give at least two practical reasons why he or she should wait until marriage before sex, what would you say and why? And to summarise this week's lesson. In the first 12 verses of chapter 4, Paul tackles a couple of the most difficult problems found in most churches, particularly urban churches. Sexuality is a very private matter, yet there is abundant peril to the church when sexual immorality is not confronted. Equally important is the kind of church the world sees in the neighbourhood and workplace. Paul's guidelines in these matters are as important today as they were in his time. And that brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week, and it's titled Finding the Way Home, Part 2. This is where we conclude the story we started last week. Take your things and don't come back, Mother said as Veruska opened the door. Veruska paused and then said softly, I'll collect my things when I return from church. She hurried toward the church, crying. As Veruska entered the church, a woman was telling the mission story of a girl who faced trials similar to Veruska's. Tears ran down her cheeks as Veruska listened to how God had prepared a safe haven for the girl who had dared to follow Jesus. After church, Veruska stood near a wall wondering what to do. Marcus 
approached and saw her tears. She told him what her mother had said, and he offered to take her to his home, but Veruska declined. She didn't know Marcus's family. The two walked toward town together. They found a bench and sat down to talk. Marcus prayed for her and then read her some promises from his Bible. Time flew, and as sunset approached, Marcus said he had to return to church for Vespers. Veruska walked home alone. Her mother wasn't home when she entered the house, but she found the note on the table. Trembling, she read it, Please don't leave home, Mum. Veruska smiled and hurried toward the church. God had provided a way for her. But as she returned home after dark, fear once again enveloped her. She prayed for peace and entered the house. Mother welcomed Veruska with a look of relief. Veruska realised that her family had been worried about her. No one mentioned religion that week, but Veruska knew her mother wasn't happy with the direction she had chosen. In time, her mother calmed down and Veruska continued attending church. Then, one Sabbath morning, mother told Veruska, hurry or you'll be late for Sabbath school. Veruska smiled. Her mother no longer opposed her decision to become a Seventh-day Adventist. Veruska shares her faith with her mother, just as her brothers had shared theirs with her. Veruska has learned that her mother listens to some Seventh-day Adventist programs on the radio, and Veruska prays that God's words will sink deeply into her mother's heart and find fertile ground there to grow into faith. She prays that her father will find faith in God as well. Angola is home to more than 350,000 Seventh-day Adventist believers. Our mission offerings help spread the gospel to the millions in Angola who have not yet heard the Seventh-day Adventist message. This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful. Thank you.